This is Josh Reeves. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. Christmas time is on its way, and our candlelight services are as well. December 23rd and 24th, 1, 4, and 7 p.m. in person here on the Mile High Church campus, but you can stream them as well on 7 p.m. at each evening. Dr. Rogers is going to be with us. We have some amazing musicians. Our theme this year is Christmas magic, and we're inviting each and every one to ask themselves the question, are you being the Christmas you want to see in the world? I get to speak today. The message is, do you believe in magic? Part two. And it's all about how to invoke Christmas magic during the holiday season, which, like Jennifer said, can be difficult for many of us. And throughout this talk, I'm going to share a blessing from John O'Donohue. Barry's here. He turned me on to John O'Donohue a few years ago. uh, And here's part of that blessing. May the angels in their beauty bless you. May they turn towards you the streams of blessing. May the angel of awakening stir your heart to come alive to the eternal within you. And in this series, we're talking about rituals that invoke Christmas magic, calling them the gifts of Christmas magic. Last week, I talked about song and kindness. And I want to begin today by talking about story. The ability of story to invoke Christmas magic. Christmas is a Christian holiday, and I celebrate that. But I think we make a mistake when we reduce it to only being a Christian holiday. It's the most melting pot holiday that I know of. And everything means something. I I shared last week that actually in New England, in the early years of our country, it was illegal to practice Christmas. Not only because people were raising a ruckus, but because the, the uh, Puritan types uh, saw that all of these other winter solstice pagan things were going on and said, we don't want anything to do with that. And so Christmas uh, wasn't practiced then. And we find uh, in, in Christmas time that everything means um, something. Even historians believe that early Christians placed the birth of Jesus at December 4th. And so these folks actually saw all this cool pagan stuff going on and said, we want to be a part of that. But everything during Christmas time has a story. It has significance and meaning that we can celebrate. The Christmas tree, which we import from Germany, is all about inspiring the enchantment of children and the child within. When we eat so much and feast... It's the celebration that December used to be the time when all was harvested, harvested, when we had the most food. Those Christmas lights that we see come from that solstice tradition of honoring the light within during the darkest time of the year. And then there's Santa Claus. Santa Claus who represents Christmas magic itself. The importance of honoring the unseen aspects of life. I shared with you last week, not growing up with a lot of religion, that it was my belief in Santa Claus that helped me understand and believe in the unseen. We live in the seen, but we have our being in the unseen, where we discover the true soul and meaning of life. There was a very famous 
letter to the editor that was written in 1897 by a young girl named Virginia. And it's been republished every year since. Her letter was to Francis Church, the editor of The Sun. Dear editor, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say that there is no Santa Claus. Papa says if you see it in the sun, it is so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant in his intellect as compared with the boundless world about him, as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole of truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to our life its highest beauty and joy. So we can find story in all of the symbols of Christmas. You can find it too by honoring your ancestors and your family. Share the stories of why you eat what you eat, of why you practice what you do. And of course, make sure to enjoy a great Christmas movie. How many of us have already imparted on a great Christmas movie? Okay, what are you, what are you looking forward to seeing, those who haven't, anybody? It's a Wonderful Life, Elf. Did I hear Bad Santa? What, what else is out there? Okay, a Christmas Vacation, White Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. Home Alone, did I hear Die Hard? The Bachelor's double feature on Christmas Eve is Die Hard, followed by Lethal Weapon, which uh, Jennifer Burnett would come out and we could have a debate about whether or not those are Christmas movies or not, but that'll be a different sermon at a different time. Christmas is best when we find our own story. And make sure you watch that Christmas movie. You'll, you'll, you'll try to say, well, I've seen that before. Well, you haven't seen it now. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. There it is, see? <laughs> <laughs> yippee ki Okay. <laughs> so we have to, to find those, those stories. Because whether it's the, the story of Buddy the Elf or George Bailey or a little girl who doesn't believe in Santa Claus, a miracle on 34th Street. The goal is to find our story. Christmas time at its best is the telling of the human story, the birth of all humanity, which can be represented in the birth of Christ. Dr. Michelle and I have something in common, and, and we have the same favorite movie, which is It's a Wonderful Life. And my favorite scene in any movie is in It's a Wonderful Life, um, I'm not a crier, but I weep every time I see the scene. And it's not at the end of the movie when he wants to live again. It's in the first 10 minutes of the film, which is so interesting to me. Young George works for Mr. Gower at the drugstore. And on one particular day, Mr. Gower has gotten the painful news that his son has died of influenza. It was probably the Spanish flu. And he's drowning his sorrows in, in alcohol. He's totally drunk, mean, and miserable. And he's called to fill a prescription, and he puts poison in the pills. And young George, the young boy, he, he sees this, uh, and he takes the prescription. He's sent to go deliver it, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he goes to ask his dad. 
his loving father who just happens to be in a fight with mean old Mr. Potter. And he can't hear him and can't help his son. And young George goes back to the drugstore and the, Mr. Gower's on the phone getting the message that the prescription has not been delivered and this is very well needed. And he grabs little George and he pulls him into where he makes the medicine and he begins violently beating him. Violently hitting young George right on his sore ear and, and we see the blood coming out. Mr. Gower, Mr. Gower, you put poison in those pills. Don't you see? I know you're hurting, but you put poison in those pills. And Mr. Goward pauses and he, and he sees that he's almost murdered someone. And he grabs that George who resists at first, but then embraces him as well. And they, um, they weep. They weep together. And never have I seen a more powerful scene in a film that shares, in a sense, the sordid vulnerability of living that we at times can suffer so much and so seek to medicate or hide that pain that we can make a terrible mistake. And yet there is the wisdom at the heart of a child that can bring a saving grace. And it's so powerful to me because I can be all the characters in that scene. I can be young George trying to find his way and learning the dangers of the world, and yet the importance of holding to truth and goodness. I can be the father who loves his children endlessly, but sometimes can't hear them when they need me the most. I can be mean old Mr. Potter, only caring about money, and I can be Mr. Gower. In such pain and in such sorrow, right on the edge of everything breaking, and yet grabbed and saved by grace. May the angel of compassion open your eyes to the unseen suffering around you. May the angel of wildness disturb the places where your life is domesticated and safe, taking you to the territories of otherness, where all that is awkward in you can fall into its own rhythm. Story can invoke Christmas magic. And another one of the great gifts of Christmas magic is, is giving. How many people are complete with their Christmas shopping? Are you on your way? You're getting there? Well, hopefully this message will help you with that shopping and perhaps even save you some money. Because there's a shadow side to gift giving, which is about superficial transactions. It should not be about going into debt. It should not just be about fulfilling the list of what someone wants. It should not be a replacement for saying, you're sorry, or I wish I had done more for you this year, or seen you, or showed up. Gift giving should be a very vulnerable kind of exercise. If you're not a little nervous when they're opening the present, you're not truly engaging in the Christmas magic of giving. Giving a gift is about letting the people we love know that we love them. It's about letting them know that we see them. It's about letting them know that they have an impact on our lives that's meaningful. And we have that, that choice to give in such a way. Every year, right at this time, I start thinking about my Buddha's present. I call it my Buddha's present. You didn't know that Buddhism 
and, and Christmas were so intimately related, did you? Here comes Buddha Claus, here comes Buddha Claus, right down the middle way. Do you want to hear a little bit more? He'll come around when bowls ring out that it's Christmas time again. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the sutra's light. So let's give thanks for enlightenment because Buddha Claus is coming tonight. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And when we think of a fat guy who expresses a lot of joy and happiness with a big sack, we think of Santa Claus. But there's another fat guy who's very happy and joyful, who carries around a sack, and, and, and his, he goes by many names, but one of them is Hotai, and he's the Chinese god of happiness. And when you're in that Chinese restaurant, you'll see that big-bellied Buddha, and he's often portrayed not in the picture that you're about to see, but, but with a sack. And what Hotai does, one of the legends of Hotai, it's kind of interesting, hear me out, is in China, he walks through the neighborhood and he gathers up all the trash that the adults have thrown away and he gives it to the children who appreciate and play with it. Sounds a little unsanitary, I know, but hear me out. There's a deeper message here. Hotai takes from the adults that which they no longer appreciate or have the capacity to appreciate and gives it to the child who has wonder and the capacity to appreciate and play with what has been thrown away but is still has immense value. And so the Buddha's gift is this. It's something that you own that belongs to you that perhaps you still appreciate, but not in the same way that you used to. And in the spirit of all that you can take with you is that which you've given away. The Buddha's gift is something you already own that you give to a loved one. It could be a new record player along with your five favorite albums. It could be a book you love that's actually belonged to you with your underlinings in it. It could be a letter that you wrote your spouse 20 years ago. It could be a, a collection of the family's recipes throughout the generations. It could be a box that you've just kept trinkets in your whole life. And what I'm willing to bet is that if you give this Buddha's gift, it will be the most meaningful present that your loved one receives this year. Now, if you're giving this to a younger person, you still need to buy the PlayStation game. <laughs> but I promise you this, that PlayStation game will eventually be traded in or gather up dust, and that gift of meaning that you have given will last with them for the rest of their lives in a powerful way. So give a Buddhist gift, and you'll even save some cash. We all think generally these days when we ask what we want for Christmas in this transactional way, but how wonderful it is when we pause and, and just with thoughtfulness ask ourselves questions for meaningful gift giving. Um, Mile High, we're online all over the place, and this week on YouTube and on our Insight Timer will be a, a what to give for Christmas meditation. And there are three questions that go along with it. And what you can do is just write a list of all the people that matter to you. And then you ask yourself the following three questions. The first is, what is that quality that I see in my loved one that I want to honor and nurture? Second, what is a gift that I can give this person that will nurture and honor this gift? And three, 
How can I communicate with them this quality that I see and to honor them as so? Do not <laughs> um, come up with a quality that you wish this person had. <laughs> Uh, I'll use the example of my son, first of all, because there's only a one in five million chance that he will ever watch this service, and then I will also ask that you not tell him. But the, the, a quality I most see in him is, is caring and thoughtfulness. He is so caring and thoughtful, and yet one of the things I know is sometimes he, he struggles to convey that. And so a gift that I thought that I could give him is he's into um, Japan and Japanese studies right now. And so I I bought a huge box of Japanese greeting cards uh, and with a nice pen. Now, he may open this up and look at me with a look of confusion. He may not use it for 20 years. But the point is to convey to him how thoughtful and caring I think he is and that he may find use of these cards to express that caring and thoughtfulness one day. It may sound a little weird, but it's meaningful. Uh, My wife is here. I don't want to give away any Christmas presents. Uh, But when I I think of the qualities of her, I think of just immense creativity. My wife is so incredibly creative. And often on Christmas, I will get her things to express those those creative juices. But often what happens is we get so busy that she doesn't get time and so the gift that I want to give her this, this year isn't just things to be creative with, it's the time to do them. And so I hope to make little cutouts with this date and that date and this time at that time so she can prepare to uh, allow herself to be in her creativity and to express it in the beautiful ways that she does. What is it for you and the people that you love? What is that quality that you see and want to nurture in them? What is something you can give them that honors that? And how can you tell them so? Reverend Carol Wilkie, who did a beautiful prayer today, shared with me that her orthodontist shared with her that every year he wrote a letter to each of his children to tell them the accomplishments that they, he had seen them do and how he'd seen them grow as individuals. How thoughtful. How cool. Again, it may not be as valuable as the PlayStation game at the time, but later on, that meaning comes through. May the angel of Eros introduce you to the beauty of your senses, to celebrate your inheritance as a temple of the Holy Spirit. May the angel of justice disturb you to take the side of the poor and the wronged. May the angel of encouragement confirm you in warmth and self-respect that you may live with the dignity that presides in your soul. A final gift of Christmas magic is stillness. Just like Jennifer shared so beautiful, that's something I wish for each and every one of you, is some time in the stillness this Christmas. Christmas is hard for a lot of us. For many of us, it's our loneliest time of year. And we can tend to isolate ourselves. We miss our loved ones who are no longer here in the way that they once were. Sometimes we may even be surrounded by people and still feel isolated and lonely. And what I'm wishing for you isn't isolation. Isolation is often that place that we put ourselves in self-rejection. It's where we disconnect from the world. What I wish for you is solitude. Solitude is where you meet yourself at your place in the world and realize that you are never alone. 
It's in solitude that that stillness rises and we begin to know our place in God and God's place in us. We experience ourselves not in the temporal, but in the eternal reality of our soul and our connection. Henry Nouwen, the great Christian teacher, put it this way. He said, remember, you belong to God from eternity to eternity. You were loved by God before you were born. You will be loved by God long after you die. Your human lifetime, long or short, is only a part of your total life in God. The length of time doesn't matter. Life is just a little opportunity for you during a few years to say to God, I love you too. I wish that moment, and it will come on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, a second out there on the porch, a little walk around the block to take a deep breath, a moment even to go to the restroom during the family dinner and take that deep breath and have that moment of connection where the Spirit greets you, where the hand of God holds on to your heart and puts it at ease, where the creative Spirit of God brings your mind to clarity in the present moment, where the presence of the divine inspires your spirit to truly see and behold the miracle of your living. It is in the stillness that our entire life can be informed by inner beauty and can be touched by grace. May the angel of death arrive only when your life is complete and you have brought every given gift to the threshold where its affinity can shine. May all the angels be your sheltering and your joyful guardians. So remember these five rituals of Christmas magic. Song, fill your life with music. Kindness, center your life not on money, not on worry, not on control, but being kind. I've regretted a lot in my life never being kind. Embrace story this year. Allow it to fill your life with meaning. Give from a place of not transaction, but of meaning and of heart. And find that stillness, or as Jennifer so lovingly put it, calm down and let it find you. To remind us that we live in the temporal, but we have our being in the eternal also. So moving into prayer this morning, inviting any of our wonderful practitioner prayer partners to stand with me if they so choose. And coming present, we give ourselves the gift of an open heart to receive all the gifts of the season. In this heart, we experience our connection with the divine. In our heart, we feel our connection with all of our loved ones. In this heart, we can be transported into a consciousness of healing, of happiness, and of well-being. And in this heart, there is that whispering of a divine love that inspires us in days of wonder, in days of challenge, and in everything in between. 
May holding this heart and ourselves in it allow us to be beacons of healing, of forgiveness, of nourishment, and of joy for ourselves and for others. Holding this sacred space, I know that there are blessings known and unknown to us that are coming about in emphatic and wonderful ways. We receive them. We embody them. We become them. And so it is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.